Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. going on everybody it's time for another episode of believe in kentucky on the believe podcast network the number one podcast network for professionals alongside double zero the 96 champ my name is Vinny hardy i'm with tony delk what's good td Vinny, i'm out in this atlanta rain but you know what I'm, I'm moving right along i'm happy to be here today i know we're gonna have a a phenomenal show with a really good guest that's gonna surprise people with all the knowledge that he's gonna gonna fill their brains with so happy to be here that's it he's from louisville kentucky i grew up in harlan county watching him back in the day on wkyt he hosts the big blue insider on 6 30 a.m wlap in lexington now He's a Packers fan, TD. I don't know. If, we can't hold that against him, I don't guess. You no, might. No, no, no. You, you I, I, might. I consider no, what they I did can't. to your Titans earlier this year, you might. But I, anyway. But hey, we, hold on, hold on. That, that, that was a snow game. Come on now. You, you, <laughs> you, you, you already know how Tennessee. You, you should know that. You know how Tennessee shut down with two or three inches of snow. So do you expect for our players to be able to play in, in snow? Absolutely not. <laughs> this is true. This is true. We have Mr. Dick Gabriel on. Also, you, you hear him on the um, UK Sports Network, sideline reporting for football games. You hear him with baseball games. Look, he does it all. We got Dick Gabriel on Believe in Kentucky. How you doing, Dick? I'm good, fellas. How you doing? Glad to be here. Glad to Dick, have you. Absolutely. Uh, Dick, you can kind of you can kind of fill us in. I know you do, you know, a lot of a lot of reporting on all the different sports. You know, you're very knowledgeable about, you know, football, basketball, baseball. But I want to pick your brain on baseball because it seems like the SEC conference has nine or ten teams ranked. Is the conference that good? Yeah, it really is, Tony. And it, you know, and I think the one of the biggest reasons is money. Frankly, I mean, schools are pouring resources into baseball, and they're paying their coaches more. They're paying their assistants more. The facilities are phenomenal. I don't know if you guys have been to the new stadium over on the UK campus, but it's, it's just outstanding. 
And, you know, with the SEC network being what it is, there's more interest in baseball. And if they can just get a little bit of cooperation from the pros, I really <laughs> believe that some, at some point in the near future, they're going to slide the schedule to warmer weather, maybe just three weeks. And therefore, right. you'll be able to put more people in the stands and sell more tickets and make a little more money. So you're saying so revenue is going to go up if they were to decide to make that decision. Absolutely. Because, look, we all know Kentucky's the northernmost school and, and people aren't going to show up till the weather changes. But that's the case at a lot of places, although you've got some schools where people show up regardless. The biggest thing you got to do is win. You know, but when yeah. you look at schools like Mississippi State, LSU, Arkansas, uh, you know, Vanderbilt doesn't draw that much, but Vandy doesn't draw for much of anything, even though they've got an incredible <laughs> program. But, you know, if it's right. a big series, they'll sell out. But, uh, yeah, if you win, you know how it is, Tony. You played for a program that won a few games. Uh, you yes. keep winning, people are going to show up. Oh, they're coming. You know, you, you have a lot of people that like to get on the bandwagon. So, you know, you, <laughs> you start winning, you get ring, and before you know it, you got televised games, you have yep. people coming out. So you are right about the support. But, you know, when I look at baseball and I know Vanderbilt, you know, what makes them so good is pitching. You know, so when, when we look at the pitching of all these teams, like what, what's the separation? What's so different from Danny than you would say, like the teams that are ranked in the other teams are ranked in the top five. Well, that's a great question. And very few people really know how this works. Here's the deal. Uh, your sport, basketball, everybody got a scholly unless they were a walk-on, right? But what do they have? 11 scholies, 12, something like that. In baseball, you have 11.7. You've got to split it up among everybody else, okay? Now, some guys are in on academic grants. Some guys are in on a little bit of money. Every once in a while, you'll get an A.J. Reed, who was the best player in college baseball, and he'll get either a full ride or close to a full ride. Vanderbilt okay. has a great thing going with so many grants available through that school that a lot of those kids who play for Vandy are on academic grants. And so they can, they'll go out and they'll find a kid who is a great baseball player, but qualifies academically for money. Uh, wow. A few schools, Stanford does that as well. They're generally schools of that, of that caliber. You know, there's a little bit of that at other schools, but Vandy has done a great job uh, of building its its program that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's a, obviously an its advantage for Vanderbilt, but if, if it were that easy, everybody else would go out and do it. So um, I don't know if that's ever going to change. I don't know if, if baseball is ever going to uh, get more uh, funding for scholarships, but until it does, that's kind of a built-in edge. Louisville has a similar advantage so uh you know it's it's something they don't like to talk about because if coaches complain about it now it sounds like they're bad-mouthing academics and you really can't do right that. yeah yeah you um of course you covered the game today the cats beat EKU six to three right Nick Mingione just got an extension the head coach for UK baseball um what in his heart of hearts, when we, we saw the hot start when he came and then the program dipped a little bit, Tony talked about how elite it is in the SEC. You know, you guys mentioned Vanderbilt and LSU. Where do you think the program 
is this year in the landscape of the SEC? And then Nick Min Jones and their staff's heart of hearts, what kind of team do they think they have this year? Are they contending? Are they a year or two away? Where is Kentucky at in the big picture in the SEC this year? Well, when you say contending, are they contending for an SEC title? I don't know if they're that good. What they need to contend for is an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, mm. Get into the SEC tournament, win enough games to mm. where they can be active in the postseason. The answer to that is, yeah, I think they do. I think they believe they have that. Here's the thing. Nick comes in, like you said, the first year. Yeah, he inherited a lot of players. He had to re-recruit some guys. But you have to understand that the guys that, that, that he inherited weren't really thinking. Some of them weren't even going to come back. They, they had just kind of felt like they'd been you know played out and, and they'd had all they wanted. They never really talked about going to Omaha. They never really thought that much about going to the postseason. They were just going week to week. And sometimes that's what the SEC does. First thing Mingeon came in and did was he started using the hashtag Omaha, which, as you guys know, means College World Series. Uh, that's, right. that's just code for the top in yeah. college baseball. And if you've ever been to that event, if you've never been, I urge you to go. It's, it's awesome. It's a mm. great sporting event. Uh, so anyhow, he had to convince these guys that they were good. The first weekend series they had, because I went with them to do radio, was North Carolina, and they got swept. But in every game, they had the tying run at the plate or on base in the eighth inning or later from a, against the top 10 program. So at, after the last game was read, was done, I'm packing up the radio gear and I'm trying to hustle to, to get to the bus. Right. And Tony, you know how it is when, when guys have to rush to get to the bus, to get out of town. Um, <laughs> I looked over in the dugout and all the players and, and, and Nick were still in there. Nick spent 20 minutes after that last game saying, guys, we just got swept, but let me tell you what, we're good. You're good. You can do this. He had to convince those guys. And it took him about a month to convince them that they were really good enough. And you saw what happened. They won an NCAA regional. And they were two wins from going to Omaha. Yeah. Now the following yeah. year, they got off to a great start. Benny, I don't know if you remember this, but they were tearing it up. They went down to Houston to Minute Maid Park, played in a round robin, killed everybody, hit home runs out of the state of Texas. But yeah. little by little, injuries took over. And by the time the middle of the SEC season rolled around, they were out of pitchers. And by the last weekend when they played Vandy, they had no starters. All they were, they were starting relief pitchers. Man. So 2018 should have been a really good year. And it wasn't 2019. So, ah, they, they, they weren't any good last year. They were good, but then, you know, you know what happened. So right. yeah. it's kind of a long answer, but I think they've got really good chemistry. They've got a good mix of new players, freshmen transfers, They've got good veterans back. So they got a shot, you know, and that's all you can ask. Mm -hmm. So do you think with uh, with the COVID situation and what the NCAA did, allowing these guys to come back, you know, I, I think you think that made the conference even stronger? Absolutely. Absolutely. They've got Kentucky's got some guys with they, what they're calling graduate seniors. I, call, I like the super seniors tag, <laughs> but, but man, everybody's got them. You know, now some some programs, their veterans were good enough to go on to pro ball, but right. everybody everybody now has built in depth that they've never had before. It's really going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think it's helped the, the, the programs that are toward the bottom half, like Kentucky, probably more than the ones at the top, because, as I said, 
their best guys went pro. And speaking of COVID, um, I saw where you you mentioned that you had it a, a, a couple months or so ago. How are you feeling? Just, I mean, since I'm good. I'm good now. Thank you. Uh, I got it in October, and I really believe that it was uh, after the road trip to Missouri, which was not not a great road trip for the football team. Yeah. Uh, and then you might recall that was the open day, right? Well, that was also Breeders' Cup week. And Tom Leach had to be tested in order to be allowed to work the Breeders' Cup. He tested positive. So he called me because we had spent the whole weekend together in a car driving back and forth to Missouri. He said, get yourself tested. And sure enough, <laughs> I was positive. And, and, buddy, it kicked my butt. And thankfully, there was that open day for football because I spent, you know, about 10 days flat on my back. It just drains you, at least me. Everybody's different. But with me, it just drained me of all my energy uh, achy coughing. I had what they call COVID pneumonia. Uh, I didn't lose my, my smell or uh, taste. Didn't have a high fever, but I had the other symptoms. It was not fun. So all these people that think it's a hoax or won't wear a mask or whatever, it drives me up a wall. So Dick, so what you're telling us is that that leech gave it to you in, in so many words, that's what it sounds like. Uh, that, or we <laughs> no, got I'm it not. to, or, or we got it together somewhere on the road in Missouri. But I do blame Tom. Yes. <laughs> hey, th- 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 thanks for saying that. So when I talk to Leach, I'm be like, Leach, come on, man. Were you not wearing your mask or were you not following the protocol? And I know Leach. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. We did everything we could. But, you right. know, go on the road, man. You're rolling the dice. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Tom Leach, I was listening to him this morning on the Leach Report, and, and he said you're going to be filling in tomorrow. And, you know, he always does the preview of whoever Kentucky's playing. He'll usually get that team's play-by-play guy. So he had play-by-play guy on today. And he talked about a story because he talked about how he was sick to his stomach and he had to to leave. The only time this happened during a game, he had to go and, you know, he was sick to his stomach. So you know what that means. And he said he had to get you to fill in for him. So (laughs) from your perspective, what was that like? You having to go do play-by-play on the spot like that with no notes? That was crazy, man. I'm sitting in the end zone at the press table. This is back before they stuck us all in the press box. I was just thinking about this the other day. It's funny you said that. And our actually the producer, he he turned to our producer at the time, Mike Dodson, and he he said, you know, I, I don't know if I can keep going. And yeah, he was he was doing the game holding a trash can under his chin. Mm. for the reason you alluded to. So anyway, Mike runs over to me and he says, I might need you. And I he says, Tom is not feeling good. And I looked at what across the way and I saw that garbage can. I went, Oh my gosh. I said, okay, well just let me know. So he goes running back and then he turns around and he yells, well, come on. I'm like, Oh, okay. You want me now? <laughs> so I go running around the corner at the press table. And by the time I get there, Tom has made a beeline for the back wow. for, the, for, you know, and one of the team doctors went with him and gave him a, a shot of something. I don't know what it was, but I did about three or four minutes. It was senior night. It was uh, Preston LeMaster got some minutes and he had a couple three pointers. Remember that game? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I filled in for Tom and it's not the first time I did a UK game though. Uh, in 1979, it was a 79 80 season and right. Kaywood Ledford and Ralph Hacker uh, we're still doing games. Well, that was the first uh, game in uh, Springfield, Mass., the hall, first Hall of Fame game, and it was Kentucky and Duke. 
And so uh, Ralph and Kay Wood were in Florida doing football. So I did the basketball game in Massachusetts with none other than Jock Sutherland, who wow. later ended up on the U of L network. Yeah. Jock and I went up to UMass and it was Sam Bowie's first game and mm. Dirk Minifield and that group. Okay. So I'm one of four people who ever filled in for Kaywood Ledford. And then for three minutes, I filled in for Tom Leach. <laughs> that is distinctive honors right there, Gabe. Very yeah. unique. Very unique. Speaking of senior night, look, Kentucky just lost to Florida on, on senior night, um, playing Ole Miss right now as we speak. TD, I'm flashing back to your senior night, 96. Y'all beat Vanderbilt 101-63. You had 23 points in 27 minutes. What do you remember about the game? What do you remember about the days leading up to your final game in Rupp Arena as a senior? You know, uh, just my mom being there. My mom had never come to a game. That was her first game in Rupp Arena was senior night. My mama was older, so she really didn't didn't travel. And I really didn't think she was going to come. You know, my brother was like, man, I'm bringing mom up. I was like, for real? Because, I mean, she had never come to my freshman, June, sophomore, junior, uh, that senior game. But, you know, just having my mom in the house, pitching with her, uh, my brother, um, that night with Walter, Mark Pope, and just, just being a special team. You know, I think at that point we hadn't, um, we hadn't lost the – we hadn't lost the SEC game. You know, so that was just a special year that was leading us towards the Final Four and, you know, eventually cutting down the nets. But just having my mom there was probably the most special moment I, I can think of. You know, it's not even, you know, beating, beating down Vanderbilt, you know, uh, having our seniors, you know, you know, just be a part of, of something that we saw so many times. You know, I, I remember my junior year, I think we played LSU for a senior night. And, you know, just Chris Harrison, Chris Harrison. Yeah, it was tough just to see those guys go out. And when you play that last game as a, a big blue, uh, big blue player, you know, it's, it's over with, you know, you thinking like, gosh, you know, not even thinking about, you no know, Jersey getting retired, winning the championship. It's like, this is the last game as a collegiate athlete, I'm going to play in Rupp arena. And you have so many memories, you know, with, with winning and losing, uh, just those guys that I came in with. I came in with Walter McCart. I came in with Jared Prickett. I came in with Roger Rose, who left and transferred to USC. Rodney Dent was uh, Juco All-American, played two years with him. So a, a lot of things flash in, in your head going to a Final Four. Um, you know, just the 24,000 fans there. So, you know, just being a part of history was something that, you know, as I look back on, you know, it, it was definitely a special night. But for me, just having my mom there. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's, that was like the icing on the cake for me. So that, that lady, that lady was like, I'm not coming. And she only came to watch me play live. I want to say three times my South, my, my uh, eighth grade middle school last game, my senior night in high school and my senior night in college. So it was always special to have her in the building. And I can remember going back to high school. She came and I had one of my, probably my second best high school game. I had 50 points, 20 rebounds. My mom left at halftime. <laughs> she said, she said it was too, she said it was too loud. <laughs> so I let you know what kind of mom I had. But no, special lady though, special lady. What does she think about Rupp Arena? I mean, the first time she's there was your last game. The whole <laughs> Big Blue Nation, Lexington, Rupp Arena 
What does she think about that whole scene? You know, my mom, you know, like I said, when you come from a small town that's only eight, 10,000 people, can you imagine walking in to a rubber arena and you're seeing 20, you're hearing and seeing 24,000 people. So I know she couldn't wait to get out of that building. You know, she was, she was there. And, and I remember her because my mom, she was, uh, she was so humble. And. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we just lost Tony. Yeah. Get him to jump back in right quick. But yeah, especially talking about his mom's first time at Rupp. That is, yeah. Because I, I definitely, we've talked about her at different points and times in the podcast. And you know, he talks about it's really hard to impress her. You know, he come in and say this and that and the other. And she, you know, no reaction. or And he's, that, he gets that from her too. He's hard to impress, like with kids <laughs> in his academy and stuff like that. I said, you get that from your mom? Absolutely. He said, I'm hard to impress just like, she is. So he gets it honest, but uh, we get Tony. Yeah, sorry about it. Let me let me let me finish my story. Sorry about that. Yeah, so yeah. so yeah yeah. So she was she was a humble lady. So I felt like she was out of place. Like she was nervous. I'm like she was more nervous than me. And it was so funny because all my teammates were like, "Tony, you gonna cry?" I'm like, "No, I'm not." I I knew I wasn't gonna cry. I was just happy that you know. Um, <laughs> I tell you, I tell you something that made me happy too. I knew I only had so many more practices left with Coach Patino. So, <laughs> and Dick, and Dick, you probably been to some practice. Like, when I tell you, I, I, I was thinking, I'm like, man, I can't wait to not run up and down that court and press anymore. I said, I want to be free from just that that kind of practice. But, you know, it, it was, like I said, Coach Patino was, when I look back and reflect on him as a coach, and he got the most out of everybody from yeah. myself to Cameron Mills, uh, Jeff Shepard, Jerry Prickett, Anthony Epps, I mean, I can just go down to Nazi Muhammad. I can just go down the line with how all of us competed and, and, and how he got everything out of us. Like, we, when I left, I felt like I gave everything I had to give oh, in yeah. those four years. I got to tell cheated. you, I got to tell you, Tony, when we did that documentary on your team, on your championship team, and we all got together in Miami. Uh, and talk, which I really enjoyed talking to you guys because you told some great stories I had never heard. But I will tell you this, that going into that project and, and Cameron Mills was the driving force, as you know, in his mind, the theme of the of the entire story was going to be how terrified we all were of Rick Pitino. <laughs> and the more I talked with you guys, I had to make him understand you guys weren't. I mean, you were, but you weren't. It wasn't the story became not how terrified we are, but how's he going to do this? You know, because all you guys during the interviews talked about the fact that there was so much talent and none of you guys could figure out how's Patino going to put this team together. Who's going to play where you were the point guard for a couple of games that didn't work. Uh, who's going to start. What's he going to do with Antoine, that kind of stuff. So that's what the game or that's what the, uh, the, the story became was how's he going to put all these pieces together? Now, Cameron was terrified of him, you know, but, and I know you guys. He was scared anyway. That's like, right. Cam, that's right. Cam, Cameron was scared the first day he came. He, he came and practiced with us. He was scared. But, you know, but yeah. you know what, Dick, what, what's so funny, and, and people always talking about, you know, me playing the point guard, but they, it's funny because everybody act like we lost against, like we lost against EKU. We lost against UMass. Right. UMass. Let, let's not forget, UMass stayed number one all year. That's right. Until we, until we beat them. Think about this now. Until we beat them. So 
yeah, Anthony came on and he was able to be the point guard. But I have to tell, I have to remind people, we didn't just lose to you know to, to a team that wasn't good. I said exactly. that team remained number one. They beat us. We were number two all year. They were number one the rest of the year. So we yeah. didn't, so they didn't lose until maybe I want to say either conference championship or to us they only had two losses, just like right. ourselves when we finished. Uh, so you know, people said, well, you know, it was, it, yeah, it, it was a good change, but even if we had a probably beaten them, you know, I still think that they were just that good of a team. It, oh, yeah. it didn't it really it didn't matter who was at the point guard. They were just ready to play up. And they like like us, they returned all their players from a uh, an elite eight game. Yes. So we didn't just walk on the court and play against a team that, you know, that was, you know, uh inferior or, or feared us. They had they had a really good team just like we did. Right. So it, it was, you know, I I reflect on, you know, just like you said with Coach P, um, you know, we it, it's kind of like, you know, as a son. You don't want to disappoint your mom. And that's how we felt with Coach Patino and, and all those, you know, uh, Jim O'Brien, everybody mm-hmm. that put so much time in, you know, because what, what what people behind the scene don't see, don't understand is that, you know, these guys really sacrifice, you know, so much time away from their family, you know, to make sure that we were the best team in the country that year. And, and, yeah. and, and, I, and I reflect on, you know, so many stories with, you know, Coach Patino, I'm walking in, I'll be up at like five or six in the morning and Coach Patino is there. I'm like, God, dude, I'm thinking to myself, does this man ever sleep? <laughs> <laughs> and and here's another story. So not only did he sleep, he didn't allow his assistant coach to sleep. Yeah. So if they, if he was playing basketball at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, everybody had to be there on the staff. They didn't leave until Coach Patino left. And Coach, Coach P might be, he might be on campus from 6 in the morning to like 11 to 12. Like he was relentless when wow. it comes to, I mean, just, just, I mean, he was, a, he was a machine. I never seen, I never come across a machine like Coach Patino. Right. Yeah. Take a quick second and, and make sure we mention one of our sponsors, eBay. Uh, they're in the sneaker game. Tony's a big sneaker guy. So eBay is now involved with sneakers too. Uh, whether it's rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 and up, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. I got to just hit y'all with a quote real quick. Bruiser Flint Flint said it a few weeks ago, and it just stuck with me because it's his first year at Kentucky. Devin Askew is a freshman at Kentucky. They hadn't known each other that long, both of them figuring stuff out here. But he said that Devin Askew was the hardest working player he's ever seen a few weeks ago when he spoke to the media. And we've all heard that Askew's, he's one of those West Coast kids, but he's not trying to transfer back closer to home, a la Johnny Juzang or Jamal Baker. I was just, 
I'm not saying that Bruiser's lying. I was just surprised to hear him say that, considering how long he's been coaching and all the players he's come across. So what do you guys think when you hear a quote like that, for him to just, after a few weeks, say that Devin Askew is the hardest-working player he's ever seen? What do you think, Tony? <laughs> I'll answer, but I want TD to go first. <laughs> Nick, I, mean, you, I mean, that's tough, man. And you're right, Vinny. He has seen a lot of players. And, and maybe I don't know if he's delusional right now, and you know he's trying to he's trying to win some fans in Kentucky. But you know, I mean, we've all come across some kids that work extremely hard. You know, I I think once you get to that level, you know, I really didn't know how hard I really worked until I left Kentucky. I was like, when I came in as a high school player, I thought I worked hard as a high school player, but the intensity level was at a whole nother another another height. It was at a it, it, it was like being at the mountaintop. Like, I'd never been to the mountain. I, I was in the valley, but I'm like, man, being at the mountaintop, like, to stay here, there was not a whole lot of oxygen up there. And I thought, in my mind, you know, I was a hardest-working player. I'm sure you know, Derek probably thought he was a hardest-working player. Walter thought – I mean, all of us thought we all worked hard. So it's, it's hard for a coach to say that another player is working harder than the next player because in our bodies – I knew I was giving you everything I could possibly give you. Like, there was nothing else I could give you. And if anyone ever said I wasn't playing hard or I didn't play hard, it, it was an insult. Like, I was insulted. I, I felt like, do you really understand, like, my body and what, I, and what I sacrifice is something that most players would love to do, but most players don't do it all the time. I say, I, once I learned how to work hard, it was every day. Like, like it was like you knew every day I was going to give you 100%. So to say that, uh, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to win some fans there in Kentucky. I don't know. Well, my take on, first of all, Tony had the cramps to prove how hard he was working. There's no <laughs> question about that. Um, but I, I really believe that this was a little bit of a, of a head game. I think that Bruiser was probably trying and has been probably trying to keep Devin from getting down on himself because he's been struggling. There's no question about that. He's been taking some flack on social media. And I'm sure a lot of these kids have tried to ignore it, but you know how it is, man. Uh, social media is like a car wreck. You can't not look at it. You, you can't look away. So, uh, so, you know, and, and people, for people to ask him, are you going to leave? Are you going to transfer? I mean, if, if he were tearing it up, they'd be saying, please don't transfer, you know, that kind of thing. So I really think that Bruiser may have been sending a message to Devin and saying, look, we still believe in you and we know how hard you work. And we appreciate that. Um, but it's funny, Tony. Now, the next time I hear that from a coach, I'll think about what you just said. Are you saying that these other guys aren't working as hard as he is? But yeah. sometimes sometimes teammates say that about other teammates, about how hard he – you were talking about baseball earlier. Uh, his teammates right now marvel at the, at the hours and time that John Rhodes puts in the extra time that he puts in. So sometimes teammates see that, but I think for the most part, it's a confidence thing. That's, that's just a theory. And you know, it's funny. It's funny. You said it too, because even as a freshman, I wasn't playing a lot. Like I really was, you know, I still worked hard every day. You know, like I said, there's no coach that ever coached me that could say that that man cheated me when he stepped on the court. I, I would never do that, you know, because I love the game so much. And, um, you know, so, when I hear a coach say that, if coach, I'm, if I'm on that team, I'm like, so you telling me I don't work hard, you know, and right. I come in every day, but you know, but 
it's one thing to work. Like I tell people, working hard and working smart. Like you got to put the two together. And what you're saying about him is, yeah, he's being a freshman and having social media now, because I probably would have got scrutinized and they'd have talked about, wow, y'all brought this guy in. He's not good as a freshman. And, and it would have been in my head. But also, I had some mental toughness about me because I had older brothers and I was prepared for anything. It didn't matter, like I said, if I have a bad game. I know when you're in the gym, you're constantly working on your craft, you're improving, you're getting better, is that it's going to show at some point in time. You might not do it every game because, once again, he is a young player. He he did, you know, like I said, he should have been a senior this year. But he he, he felt he was good enough to read it, you know, good enough to come and play for Kentucky. And Kentucky is a whole other animal that everybody is not prepared for. If he reaches his full potential, and if he is working as hard as Bruiser says, where do you see his game getting to if the hard work starts to pay off? Where do y'all see him? I mean, we see where he is now. He's in over his head and all that. Where do you see the end result if if he reaches his potential? You take them first, Dick. Yes, all right. Uh, well, I think obviously he's, he's going to be a guy who's here, if not for the duration, for at least three years. But I do think that part of that depends on two things. Number one, does Calipari recruit over him? He's always looking for the next great point guard, right? right. So what's going to be Devin's role? Will he play some off guard? I don't believe he's made for that. I think he's a point guard. The other thing, too, is he's a point guard, and who's he going to be feeding the ball to? A point guard is only as good as the guys, as the other guys on his team, because his first job, as Tony will tell you, is to make other people better. So if, if there are, are teammates with him for the next couple, three years who are good enough to help make this team, what make this program, what, it, what everybody hopes it can be, then yeah, he'll end up being an effective point guard. But if he's feeding the ball to guys who just can't put it in the hole, he's going to struggle as much as they are. And, and what I'm thinking about too is, is, I'm telling him about Emmanuel quickly. I say Emmanuel quickly was a good player. He came back and he got better. Yep. So you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out what it is that, that you want to be. Because being a point guard, you know, is like you said, who am I passing ball to? Are, are, can I make the players around me better? What is, what is my decision making? Can I knock down shots from the outside? How's my free throw game? How do I finish when I go to the basket? And – I just saw Manu quickly. I was like, man, that dude just, you know, I don't know what he did. I would pick up the phone and be like, coach, um, <laughs> can I talk to Manu quickly? Because I, I want to know what he did to come back and be one of the top players in the country. And, and, light, and, and lighting up in the NBA. He's not only lit it up in college. He's doing the same exact thing in the NBA. And a lot of it is, like you said, confidence. is working hard. It, it's, it's owning your craft and being good at it. And then, like I said, working hard and working smart, understanding what my role is, what my what, what my position is, how do I play with confidence? It shouldn't take the coaches to build confidence if you've been working on your game. Yeah, it's just great to give a great speech, but great speeches, as soon as the ball goes up, that speech is forgotten. It's like, oh, you got to play now. It's like having a plan when you start, when you get ready to fight UFC and, and boxing and you get hit, you'd be like, oh, I gotta have I gotta have a, a, another plan, you know. So you gotta have counters. You gotta have uh, things in place that when it don't work out, 
how do you get yourself back up? Like you got to find the motivation yourself. And it's great to have teammates and, and coaches, but when you're mentally tough and that, and that's the separation between players that sometimes make it to the NBA players who don't make the NBA is the mental toughness is that you, you can't always look for people to, to uplift you. Like you got to say to yourself, I got to go do this. I got to figure this out. And when I, when I, when I reference Emmanuel quickly, I just saw a player that played with so much confidence. And, and, and we all saw that in this game. And don't you think, Tony, that, that that mental toughness you talked about is what got him through the early stages? And he's still a rookie, but the early stages this season up in New York, you know, when he was playing in oh, front yeah. of a fan base that didn't want him, you know, that booed when they heard he was drafted. Exactly. I, I guarantee exactly. you half those people had no idea who he was. Yeah. You know, but they were but they know now. Oh my God, yes! Yeah. But they're screaming for him to be a starter, as you well know. Yes, they are. So, you know, but see, ignore but, but all so that funny. stuff. But but you know what? That's where you have to block it out. And I yeah. think Coach Patino had, you know, was really he was good about telling us don't read the press clip. And when I was a freshman, you know, of course you want to look at the box scores. You want to see, you know, what what Big Blue Nation is saying. But you know, back going back to the cat calls, you know, what they was writing about. Message and boards. he really, you know, what he said, guess what he said? He, he said, keep your eyes on the prize. He said, live in the precious present. Yeah. He said, don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. He said, live in the now. And when you're like 18, 19, like, man, what the hell did that mean? I don't even understand that. Like, can you explain yourself? Like, what do you mean? Living like, no, I'm thinking about two or three years now. I'm going to be in the NBA. But you figure out, you'd be like, okay, take care of now. Because yeah. we don't know what's going to happen you know, tomorrow, the next day, a uh, week from now, you know, so kids need to take care of what's going on in their life right now. And sometimes it's, you know, here, here's a good thing. Put the phone down. Yes. <laughs> Amen, brother. Uh-huh. That's right. Cats are trailing 21 to 12 at Ole Miss right now. Not the greatest of starts. Um, but Dick, I know you, you, been doing sidelines for UK football for a long time. What's what's the most unique thing you've seen, the most memorable thing you've experienced in all the games you've been doing and, and reporting on the sidelines? Uh, don't, I'm not sure if I've even phrasing it right. What's the craziest yeah. thing that, you know, that stands well, out the most? Unfortunately, the most memorable games are both LSU games. And one of them, of course, is the, the Mardi Gras miracle, the, the, the <laughs> past that crushed everybody. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I tell the sports information people with about a couple, three minutes to go who I want to talk to after the game. And, of course, this game was going to go down to the last second. And I, I wish I could remember the name of the kicker. But the kid, I said, I want to talk to the kicker who kicked the field goal to put them ahead. It was a clutch kick and I'm, I'm driving me crazy. I can't remember his name. So Tony, I was talking to Tony Neely. Uh, and I said, tell him to meet me, be right over here by the exercise bike on the sideline. And he said, okay, as soon as the game's over, you know, that he'll find you there. And then you all know what happened next. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my mouth wide open going, how in the world did that happen? And for some <laughs> inane reason, I don't know why, but I looked at the exercise bike. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I was like, why? Just an instinct. Like, of course, he wasn't standing there. Yeah. 
Lona so anyway, Seaver, right? Lona no, Seaver. he was not. No, he was not. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. I don't even remember who I talked to after that game. Was but Lona that, Seaver the kicker? Pardon me? Was Lona Seaver the kicker you were trying to get? Or No. No, this is uh, before Lonas got there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Lonas, he had huge kicks in the upset win over LSU. Watching them beat the number one team in America and the and the you know they flood the field. That was phenomenal. And it's right up there, a little bit better than when they beat Louisville on the Stevie Johnson touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. That that was incredible as well. Uh, but there, you know, I mean, thankfully there have been a lot of good moments when they won that first Music City Bowl. You know, uh, I had not covered a game like I covered bowl games. You know, I covered the one in '93 in Atlanta. That wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had been a while since they'd been to a bowl game and since they'd won one. So that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, it's been fun covering the Stoops teams. It really has. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So definitely had to get that in too, man. Just wanted to just kind of bounce around and hit all the sports sure. quick while we got you in and before Tony had to lock it up. So definitely uh, appreciate all your insight and glad you're feeling better. Oh yeah. And, uh, You'll look forward to you know, spring practice coming. It's fun hearing you on the radio for baseball. Uh, look, man, like I said, WKYT back in the day, I remember you as, as a kid watching you. So, man. Yeah, back when I had a beard. Yeah, man, look, you. I think you posted <laughs> on, on Facebook. It, you reminded me of, like, Steve Bedrosian for the Braves. Oh, had a very big, good. Full, had a big, full beard like that. I was yeah, like, yeah. with the well, you know, I, I, I couldn't shave it off at KYT because my general manager didn't like it. He said the guy who took over, the guy who hired me liked it. He passed away, and the guy who took over, he, he didn't like it, but he said, you can keep it, but if you shave it off, you can't grow it back. And Ooh. so uh, I think I was married at the time, and the wife liked it, and then I got divorced, and then girlfriend liked it, all that stuff. So finally, I went to work for five years. Uh, for IMG for the UK rights holder and they didn't care either way. So I thought, well, I'll shave it off. And if I don't like what I see, I'll grow it back. Um, I shave it off and immediately, what do you hear? You look 10 years younger. (laughs) You think I'm going to grow it back now? (laughs) There's one person who wants it back in my life every day. That's my daughter. My oh, daughter, my aww. son's cool with it, but my daughter wants me to grow it back. But I said, Kate, if it comes back now, it's going to be gray. Right. Said, right. He wants it best. So, but my, I'm, I've remarried and, and the current wife does not want the beard. I grew it at the beginning of uh, the pandemic. I thought I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to shave and I'm not going to get a haircut till I'm able to go back to the radio station, which we thought was July. Mm. We thought it was only going to be three months. Yeah. Boy, were we wrong. You would. So yeah. She finally, have, I got a haircut and she said, cut that beard off. You would have a David, <laughs> you'd have a David Letterman beard now if you hadn't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, he's got a little more money than I do. If I had his money, my <laughs> wife would allow me to grow that beard back. That's true. You, you can do whatever you can do whatever you want to do with, exactly. with that kind of money. Yeah. So if I ever get that kind of money, you'll see me with a beard. You guys will know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been a lot of fun, Dick, man. Can't thank you enough. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you for hopping on the podcast. And, and man, TD, appreciate your knowledge as always. Always, brother. Good always. night, man. And, and coach them up like you are. And then look forward to hearing you on the SEC stuff next week, man. 
Yes, sir. Okay. See you, Tony. All right, guys. Have All a good right. night. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Rate, review, subscribe. It's been Believed in Kentucky. We will see y'all next week. For Dick Gabriel, Tony Delk, and Vinny Hardy, this has been another episode of Believe in Kentucky. Y'all take care. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.